Father, that is, that is all true. That God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and there is none like you. None that ever has, none that is, nor ever will be. You stand alone, and we stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come into your presence right now. Who are we that we would deserve to do that? But for your love for us in sending your son to die for us upon that cross and pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve so that we can now shout in your presence for all who have repented of their sin and trusted you as their Lord and Savior. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is none like you. We pause right now, God, to not just rush to the next thing, but to be stilled, to be humbled in your presence, to recognize who we are in light of who you are. So, Father, now as we open your word, I pray, as First Peter says, we would do well to pay attention to your word today. That, God, we would not just be hearers of the word, we would be doers of the word. Coming under its authority in humility, in dependency, in desire, and in repentance. All these things, oh God, you promised to bless. Be with my mouth right now. Guard it from error. God, let your word go forth, and we know it will not come back void. Remove any distractions from this place now. Focus our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, all to you. Saying, speak to me, God. You have a word for me. We pray this in the awesome and majestic and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, today we are continuing on in our series through 1 John, verse by verse, line by line. And our series title is called Walking in the Light. Walking in the light, walking in the truth, walking with Jesus Christ. And so far up to this point in the first two and a half chapters, uh, John has laid out for us three tests, three tests that show a genuine follower of Christ from those that are not. If you recall with me, the first test is this, uh, do they have a proper view of Christ, his incarnation, that he was indeed fully God, but also fully man. That's the first test of a genuine believer. Secondly is this, their view of sin and obedience to scripture. If someone says, I'm not a sinner, I'm not sinning, they're not a believer. They are not a genuine follower of Christ. And if they don't show obedience to scripture in their lives, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ without seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us? third test was this their love for others can they lay down their life for their friends loving one another as Christ has loved us and now John gives us the fourth test and it is this do they love the world or do they love the father there's no middle ground love the world 
or love the Father. And why is this so important that he lays this out? Well, you'll see this on the screen. Write this down. This is going to set the tone for the rest of the text today. And it is this. A love for the world and a love for God are completely incompatible. Completely incompatible. A love for the world and a love for God are completely incompatible. I don't care how much the pressure is on in the church today to water that down. We go back to what the authority of God's word says that we stand on, and he says they're completely incompatible, and we will see why. See, and why is this important? Because there's a problem today. Church, look around us, loved ones. There's a problem today, and it is this. People are falling more and more in love with the world and are still saying that they can love God and serve him. That doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. Totally incompatible. They're falling more and more in love with the world and saying, yeah, I can still get my God on the side. I can still be in the world and of it and call myself a true follower of Jesus Christ. Doesn't work. They're deceived, both Christians and non-Christians. And the result of this, hearts increasingly numbed, indifferent, and apathetic to their pursuit of the Lord and growing in their love for him. That's what love for the world does. That's what it's designed to do, to numb our hearts for the pursuit of the Savior, to water it down. You say, well, that's a strong word right off the top. Well, don't take my word for it. Let's take Jesus' word for it. He's our authority. Matthew 6, 24, you'll see it on the screen. No one, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, here it is, ready? Cannot serve God and money. What's the symbol for money there? Possessions. What's possessions a symbol of? The world. You cannot serve both God and the world. And we are taking our text today from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And if you do not have a Bible with one, you're going to want one. Trust me. Put your hand up. Our ushers are coming forward right now. We'd love to put a copy of God's word in your hand if you do not have one. As well, if you don't have a copy of God's word at home, then please keep that as a gift for you. We want to bless you with that. And what we clearly see here is this. If we are to overcome our love for the world, church, we must grow in our love for God. The only, the, know this, the only way we overcome a love for the world is growing in our love for God. That's it. That's the only remedy for it. We can't just take something out of the world and replace it with something else from the world and expect to grow in our love for God. You will either hate one and love the other. For example, if you say, well, my phone... My phone is sucking up a lot of my devotion. Happens all the time. You know it and I know it. What's going on on Facebook and the news flashes from the people around me? Oh man, it's taking up a lot of time. Well, okay, I'll just take the phone out and then somehow I'm going to grow in my love for God. Well, guess what your flesh is going to do? It's going to replace the phone with the TV. And then you say, oh, I got now I've, now I've made TV an idol. Okay, well, I'll just get rid of TV. Well, guess what? It's your flesh is going to replace the TV with your car. And you say, well, wait a second. Oh, the car. No, okay. So I got to get rid of the car. Guess what? Your flesh is going to replace the car with your job. Your job will be replaced with finances. You cannot, you cannot grow 
out of a love for the world without growing in your love for God. Your flesh will make sure you can't. And the truth is this, the only thing that will displace a love for the world is a love for God. And this is what every genuine follower of Christ will increasingly show throughout their lives, an increasing love for the Lord. If you are genuinely in Christ, then you will be increasing in your love for him. And as such, decreasing in your love for the world. Simple kingdom mathematics here. And here in this text, John is writing to warn the church in Asia Minor about the deceptiveness of the world system. Notice he's writing to believers, genuine believers. No one's immune from this. Scripture says, if anyone thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. Well, my car's not a problem. Guess what? Something else is. If any of you thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. He's warning the believers to be on guard against loving the world He gives us two essential truths that all followers of Christ must live by and embrace if we are to avoid being deceived and are to grow increasingly in our love for the Father and not for the world. And let's read in in the uh, wanting to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand for the reading of it. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's pretty clear. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Well, to grow in my love for God, first thing we see here is this. I must live with conviction. I must live with conviction, refuse to love the world. To grow in my love for God, I must live with conviction, refuse to love the world. Notice in verse 15 where John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, John starts out by expressing his strong conviction to the church not to love the world or the things in it. Now, just so we're on the same page and for the sake of clarity, let's get a definition of what conviction is. Write this down. You will not see it on the screen. It is this. A belief that we are thoroughly convinced is essential and life-changing. That's a conviction. A belief that we are thoroughly convinced of that it is essential and life-changing. And make no mistake, a love for the Lord is life-changing and essential. That's a conviction. It's not just a half-hearted, yeah, okay, I love God, but, yeah, okay. It's a conviction like, I'm banking everything on this being true. Okay, refusing to love the world And for us as Christians, it must be a refusal to love the world. Now that, let's get some clarity on what that word love means. He's talking about, John's talking about in verse 15. The Greek word for love there means to have affectionate devotion for, or to desire or long for, or to seek contentment in. That's what it means to have a love for the world. A desire or long for, to seek contentment to seek contentment from it. So let's reinsert that back in. Do not seek contentment in the world. 
or the things of the world. Do not long for the world or the things of the world. Do not desire the world or the things of the world. Now, what is the world he's talking about here? We can have a bunch of different pictures come through our mind, so let's get what the text is saying. The Greek there for world means the worldly order or system, the priorities that the world has. Okay? The order of the world, the priorities of the world, the perspectives of the world. Let's get some clarity here. John is not saying that Christians are to reject the world and the people in it altogether. It's not like, I don't want anything about this. I'm not, I'm not going to be apart with anybody and, and we're going to go live under a rock the rest of our life if we're going to be true believers. It's not what he's saying here, loved ones. Let's not mistake that. There are parts of this world that reflect the glory, goodness, and gifts of God to us. I mean, all you got to do is stand on a seashore. All you got to do is go to the Ottawa River and look at how majestic God's creation is around and how his glory is revealed through it. But he says, don't be devoted to the world system that opposes God and is dominated by the ruler of that system, which is Satan. The prince of the power of the air who's been given a certain amount of time to rule before Christ finishes him off. Don't be devoted to the system. Now, the things in the world, the Greek there means possessions or pleasures, or positions. Sum it up in three terms. Possessions, pleasures, positions. He says, don't be devoted. Don't love the possessions of the world, the positions in the world, or the pleasures of this world. And understand, understand, church, these things are not inherently evil in themselves. A TV is not inherently evil in itself. Okay? Good food is not inherently evil. Even tofu. Love you. Right, 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 right? It's not inherently evil. All right? But they become wrong when we love or desire them more than God. They become wrong when we love or desire them more than God. This is the love that God hates. The love that God hates when we love, when what we love is out of order. What we put first is always going to order the rest. You ever notice that? Okay. All right. But in contrast, a love for the Father in the back half of verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what's that? What's that? It signifies a habitual affection or devotion to the Lord. A habitual affection or devotion to the Lord. It is a love for God and his love for others through us. In essence, a love for the Father is this, a love where God has first place. That's a love for the Father in every area. A love where God has first place. And what we see here is that there is, you notice this? There's no middle ground here. Love the world, love the Father. There's no middle ground. Either you are a genuine Christian marked by increasing obedience and love for God, or you are a non-Christian in rebellion against him. It's very clear. Line in the sand moment. This came to mind as I was prepping. You'll see it on the screen. It says, if you truly love God, you will increasingly not set your heart on that which isn't him. If you truly love God, you will not 
increasingly set your heart on that which isn't him. See, because these loves are diametrically opposed. They're opposite. When you increase in one, you will decrease in the other. When you increase in one, love for the world, you will decrease in your love for God. You increase in your love for God, you will decrease in your love for the world. There is no middle ground, no matter how much Satan tries to convince you there is, you cannot serve two masters. Now look at verse 16. John goes on to say, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, John now gives the three major desires. That word desires in the Greek means lusts or cravings, where the love of the world is manifested in the life of a person. And every single desire you have will be under one of these three things. Love how God's word is just so clear, so clear for us. Every desire we have is under one of these three things. All right? Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, church. This is a warning. John's writing to the church. This is a warning for us today. Do not be fooled. These are, without a doubt, the three main weapons the enemy uses to seduce a person's affections and entice them to desire or long for the things of this world and in turn, turn their hearts away from a love for God. Be, be on guard. This is for both believers and unbelievers. Those who've claimed to follow Jesus Christ and think they're all secure in this, our hearts are so prone to wander, aren't they? Because this is our flesh's default reaction. This is why it's a battle. So what are these three enticements or desires? Number one is my flesh. My flesh. Let's look right out of the text. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. The flesh. What, it, what is this? These are the uh, physical or sensual desires, the lust of the flesh, the sinful nature that is given hardwired to us since Adam and has been imputed to us. See, but notice this. Again, I have to stress, the desire itself may be okay, but how you and I go about filling that may not be when we try to fill these natural desires in ways that are contrary to God's will. What does this mean? Okay. Being hungry is okay. It's a natural desire, right? But being gluttonous in how you fill that is not. We're enticed. Gluttony is a sin before the Lord. Halloween candy. Binging on O. Henry bars. You got to fight it. You got to fight it, loved ones. So being hungry is okay. Another thing. Sex. Sex is a desire that has been given to us by God. Meant to be fulfilled within the confines of a healthy marriage. Which God has been the architect of. But seeking to fulfill that through sexual immorality or by looking at pornography is sin. That's the lust of the flesh, the the desire of the flesh. Men, what are your eyes looking at these days? 
What are your eyes looking at? What do they need to be looking at? And women, it's not just for men either. That's an increasing issue for women as well. First one is the desires of my flesh. Secondly is this, the desires of my eyes. Keep going, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and here it is, and the desires of the eyes. What are the desires of the eyes? This is coveting or envy. When we see something we want and don't have. Christmas is coming up. Watch out. This is coveting or envy when we see something we want and don't have it. We have to understand, I love this illustration, this picture. The eyes are the windows of the mind and the affections. The eyes are the windows of the mind and the affections. It is something that we see with our eyes that incites our flesh to desire it. You ever notice this? This is where, through our eyes, our wants become needs. You ever notice that? I go from I want that to I need that. Our vicinity eyes, the desires of the eyes, it incites us. Again, our eyes aren't evil. But it's when that temptation, that desire starts to take root of something we look at and we start to covet. You ever notice this? This hit me. This hit me this week. Do you ever notice that you never know how much you need until you walk through a store? You ever notice that? Maybe that's just me. I mean, we were going through the mall the other day, and my wife got mother walking through this store, and it's like, oh, that would be really good. And this and it happened so quickly. Oh yeah, we need one of these and one of these, one of these, one of these. For me, I was in Cabela's on a daddy date the other day with my boys. And I said, man, I really need a meat smoker. <laughs> no, you don't. But I'm in there and I'm like, this looks amazing. It happened so subtly. Over there, and we're at Toys R Us. Oh, Toys R Us. Oh, boy. Take the boys through Toys R Us. All of a sudden, you think they were arch enemies. Like, oh, I want that. Oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. I'm like, oh, oh, good. You're just standing there watching. Thanks. As they pass by, people pass by and give you one of these looks. It's like, what? You see it. It incites the flesh, the eyes, the window of the mind and affection. How about this? When we're perusing through Pinterest or Facebook. Whoa. Happens so quickly. And it just grabs you. That's what it's designed to do. And inevitably, you know what the inevitable result is? It leads to discontentment with what God has already provided for you. I gotta have these clothes. Why? Why do you even say that? Well, because these aren't good enough. God's given you those clothes. It leads to discontentment. Same in marriage. Why do you think divorce rates are so high? I grow discontent with my spouse because I think I see a better option where the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Desires of the eyes inciting the flesh. This whole mentality of keeping up with the Joneses. You ever heard that before? i got to keep up with the Joneses. Well... Here's the reality of this hit. When I thought of that this week, you'll see it on the screen. You can't keep in step with the Joneses and expect to keep in step with the Spirit. Done. Simple truth. You and I can't 
be expected to keep in step with the Joneses and at the same time, keep in step with the Spirit. You will love one and hate the other. That's where it is. And this, loved ones, this is what the enemy is working to create in us. I'm not satisfied in what God's provided for me. Therefore, I must think about and pursue it out of the expense of pursuing him. That's a deception. I must pursue a spouse instead of the Lord. That's a deception. I'm not content with my singleness. That's a deception. Okay, I have a need that I have to fulfill sexually. So I have to, it's okay to look at pornography. No, it's not. That's a deception. You are literally, you should see the stats on this, loved ones. You are literally rewiring your brain patterns the more you look at it. It's evil. It's satanic. And it's not okay. And again, I have to stress, church, wanting things itself isn't wrong, but it's how we pursue them and why we want them that often is, and that leads to coveting, envy, and discontentment. Three desires. Number one, my flesh. Number two, my eyes. And here's number three, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What's the pride of life? You see a little superscript note there in some of your Bibles? Go down to the bottom of the page and it says pride in possessions. Possessions. Okay? This is uh, pride in your possessions or boasting and trying to impress others with them. This is taking arrogance in what you have. Flaunting it. Taking pride in what you have been given. Some examples of this, pride in our finances, how much money we have, pride in our jobs, what status we have, pride in our home, pride in our cars, pride in our clothes, pride in our grades, pride in our positions, even in and outside of the church. I'm going to take pride that I get to really careful, take heed lest you fall. Pride in our kids, look at my kids growing up and doing this, or I'm going to take pride in... uh, Pride even in the wisdom that we think we have. I'm so smart. You see, this person seeks to glorify themselves and not the Lord. And John states here that genuine believers will live on guard and with conviction against these deceptive weapons of the evil one and will refuse to be enticed when they are tempted. Loved ones, I want to stress this. It's not wrong to be tempted. You and I are going to be tempted. Jesus says when you are tempted. You're going to be tempted. It's coming. But giving in to the temptation is. Jesus has said in Corinthians, he goes, when you are tempted, I will provide you a way of escape if you are in me. I will provide you. Nothing will tempt you beyond what you can bear in my power. Be encouraged with that today. Awesome. Awesome. Because it's coming. Probably even right now. Probably even when you walk out this afternoon. Now look around us today, increasingly we're saturated by a culture of enticement and saturation of desire that encourages us to feed our flesh because we, quote unquote, hear this before, deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve to have it all. 
Shopping malls, TV ads, video games, billboards, restaurants, you name it. But here's, here's the reality. If we don't live with a godly conviction to love them first, we will live with a worldly compromise and love it. Compromise will always happen without conviction. Compromise will always happen. You might think you're, you're above the great. You're not. The enemy's not stupid. Compromise will happen without conviction. Why? I love how John Piper puts this. I see it on the screen. He says, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. It's our sinful nature, the flesh. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I am calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about the people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. The Christian life is not a playground, loved ones. It is a battleground. Why wartime mindset? Because we're in a battle. A battle for the affection of our hearts and ultimately the battle for your soul. So question, where are you loving the world above loving the Father? You look at flesh, eyes, possessions. Where is it for you? Maybe the flesh, pornography, alcohol, gluttony, eyes, coveting, envious. What are you coveting right now? What are you envious of? Kids, spouse, like nothing's off limits. What about possessions? What desires have become needs for you? See, here's why this is so deadly. Because many of us will pray, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. But the first thing we should be praying is, my kingdom go, Lord. Then he says, my kingdom's coming. My kingdom go, Lord, because we love the desires of this world too much and they have top spot in our hearts as our first love. And this came this morning as I was reviewing this message. It says, the freedom we have in Christ doesn't give us the permission to follow our own will, but it gives us the power to live on his Amen? The freedom we have in Christ does not give us permission to follow our own will and desire, but it gives us the power to live on His. And no wonder why so many Christians feel distant or apathetic and indifferent to God in their lives, because here's why. Because the enemy's sole purpose is to take the fight out of you. He wants to numb you into this entertainment, desire-saturated coma. Where your eyes are off him, your love is off him, and this temporary world becomes your greatest affection. That's what everything he's bent on doing. Strip away the one thing that will replace a love for the world, and he's got it. He wants to take the fight out of you and me. He wants to numb us into this sleep. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Loved ones, guard your heart with vigilance. What's vigilance? Conviction. 
Guard your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Mind, emotion, will, action. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the eyes see, the mind acts, the mind thinks, the hands act. Guard it with conviction. Refusing to love the world. See the deception for what it is. See it for what it is. Remember, the only way to increasingly refuse to love the world is to replace that love that we have for it with an increasing love for God. And that means saying no to sin or love of the world only happens through saying yes to a superior pleasure in and love for God through the power of Jesus Christ in us. You overcome sin with superior pleasure in God. That's the only way to overcome it. You overcome sin with superior pleasure in God every time. He's infinitely richer. He's infinitely more satisfying. And as you draw near to him, you start to find out in the junk of this world starts to take a back seat. We cannot do it without him without the power of Christ in us, and we will give in every time. Whenever we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. Do you ever realize that? You say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. It's no different in our walk with God. And I hope you're saying right now, well, how do I, how do I take the next step to grow in my love for God? I want to, okay, the conviction piece, I gotta ask God for that. He'll give it to you, he will. And then we gotta discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit, self-control in these areas that are stealing our affections for him. But here's this outflow of that. To grow in my love for God, I must first off live with conviction, refuse to love the world. And from this, we grow in our love for God by living with purpose, pursue the will of God. This is what you replace the pursuit of the world with. Live with purpose, the purpose for which you and I were created to pursue the will of God. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, here it is, abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, John now gives the truth that this world, along with its evil system, is passing away. Along with all that it says are the greatest desires to pursue and the lusts that it continually beckons us to give our lives to pursuing. That's passing away. First John 2.8, remember? The darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. What's that? The light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ. I mean, look around. Just look around us. Passing away? What are you talking about? Would you agree with me that our world and everything in it is on a continual process of disintegration? I mean, look at our environment. The wars that we have, the rampant sickness, the plagues, the poverty, lack of food, water, and not just physical disintegration. How about moral and ethical disintegration? You notice that? It's on this downward slope, a slippery slope. People who run after the things of this world and attempt to live their lives apart from pursuing the Lord and his will, they cannot hear this, church. Hear this so much. Love you so much, church. Hear it. They cannot endure with him forever because the only those who do the will of God will abide or remain with him and prove they are his. The will there, where he says, whoever does the will of God, in the back half of verse 17, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the will of God? I get that. Do you ever ask that question? Lord, what's your will? 
What's your will for me in this situation? That's probably the number one question that I get. What's God's will? What's the will? Well, let's find out. Will of God. Greek means desires or pleasure of God. Let's insert that back in. It says this. But whoever does the desires of God, whoever does what pleases God, will abide forever. These are not just people who hear God's commands, agree with them, and have a, yeah, okay, I I see God's command there, but when I get around to it, there's no urgency behind it. The world's passing away. That should fire us up with some urgency, right? And this is not a when I get around to obeying attitude. Rather, it is those who've humbled themselves under God's authority in their lives and pursue his will for them in his power for his glory. Again, loved ones hear this. You say, well, man, if you're anything like me, how many times did we not pursue the will of God this week? Right? Anything like me. Maybe just me. Maybe just, uh-oh. Here's the reality, though. God's not talking about perfection. He's talking about Perseverance. You and I are going to sin. We are going to give in to temptation. But the one who's genuinely in Christ will increasingly and habitually do more and more of what pleases the Father because of his spirit at work in us. We can't white-knuckle it. It's by his power. So if I could sum that up, I'd just say this. We cannot say that we love God and not do what he tells us to do. We don't love God if we're not doing what he tells us to do. I love how the evangelist Billy Graham put this so pointedly. You'll see it on the screen. He says, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent. That means he may say, Yeah, God exists, and he might speak the right Christianese language, and he might do and be able to fool a lot of people. He might give an intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. That's where the rubber meets the road. A hearer of the word or doer of the word. One should lead to the next. And so some of us here may say, well, well, how do I know what God's will is for me? If I, I want to pursue God's will, he says, those who do the will of the Lord will abide forever. How do I know what God's will is for me? Well, the answer is this. Just take a moment here. Hold up your Bibles for a sec. Right here. Just like this. Yes, yes. We're trying to do it. There it is. Love it. Love seeing all your Bibles. Love it. The will of God, repeat after me. The will of God is the word of God. Bible's down. Thank you. The will of God is the word of God. We obey what he says when we obey what it says. Why? Because he wrote the book. He wrote the book. Every part of God's word, every single part, yes, even the book of Leviticus. If we humble ourselves under it, it will move us by the power of Christ in us towards obedience to God and we will increasingly grow in the image of Christ in us and through us. That is, by definition, called sanctification, which is growing in holiness, the image of Christ. That's the power of the living and active word. When we humble ourselves under it. I love how, what's the will of God for us? First Thessalonians 4.3 makes it so clear. Right here, right here. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Growing into the image of Christ. Pursuing holiness. See, this is the, this, it, right here, this verse right here is the purpose for which you and I were created for. 
Right there. How many times do you ask, what's the purpose for my life and what do I do? This is the purpose. Your sanctification through the power of Jesus Christ. The purpose for which we were created for and ultimately what will prove we are his. Okay, so let's drill down and get really, really practical here. Okay, because I want to help you, as I've been helped so much this week, I want to help you guys as well. So you have just a clear picture of what does it mean to be pursuing sanctification and the will of God. And we're going to give a snapshot here of what commentators uh, Danny Aiken and David Platt have put together a wonderful contrast between a love for the world and a love for the Father. And it drills down really, really practically. And I encourage you to use this as a tool. Take out your phone and take a picture of it. Because I want you to use it as a tool. It's a big chart. And there's two slides, all right? I want you to use it as a tool to really use as an evaluation as you go out. Love seeing all the phones. Love it. Go, Lord. Go, Lord. All right? Here it is. Use this as a tool as the Holy Spirit illuminates what the areas are for you, both on this chart and not on it. Take it with you into your quiet time this week. All right, let's roll through this. Things of the world. Love for the world says the focus is on me. Love for the Father says the focus is on God. Love for the world says, make as much money as possible. Love for the Father says, give as much money away as possible and spend even yourself on others. Starting to see the contrast, and this is only line two. Right? A love for the world says, live comfortably. A love for the Father says, life is not about comfort, but about doing hard things now so that we can reap rewards in the life to come. Love for the world says, make a name for yourself. Love for the Father says, make his name great. Love for the world says, do whatever makes you happiest. Love for the Father says, do whatever makes God happiest. Love for the world says, teach your children to love themselves and seek self-fulfillment. Love for the Father says, teach your children to love and obey God. And leave the results to him. Love for the world says, look like a model in a magazine and turn your physical appearance into an idol. Love for the Father says, treat your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit and cultivate an inner beauty. Yes, Lord. Love for the world says, this is slide two now. Love for the world says, offer acts of service when you feel like it on your terms. When you feel like it on your terms. Love for the Father says, be a servant even when it is uncomfortable or inconvenient. In the church, outside of the church even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient. Love for the world says, stay married as long as your spouse meets your needs. Love for the Father says, serve your spouse the way Christ modeled servanthood and choose to love him or her for life. Love for the world says, come across as powerful, influential, and or interesting. That means posture. Love for the Father says, give preference to others in words and actions. Humility. Love for the world says, use worldly wisdom to accrue wealth. Love for the Father says, value true wisdom, which is the fear of God over all the treasures on earth. Love for the world says, stay up to date with the fashions. Love for the Father says, be content just to have clothes. Be content just to have clothes. Love for the world says, I do the will of the world, the system. Love for the Father says, I do the will of the Father. Obedience to God's word. Did anyone else just get chiseled as I did this week on that? I think I got to line one. I was like, oh man. Oh man. 
See, and you may say this. You may say here, sitting right now, me looking at that list and being like, this is impossible. Would anyone agree? Yeah, we're all in this together, loved ones. It's impossible. And the answer is, yes, it is impossible in our own strength. In our own strength, this is impossible. That is why we need a savior, a savior who can do the impossible. And God, in his love for us, sent us one, his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as fully God and fully man, fulfilled the will of his father perfectly. You imagine this? Look at the life of Jesus on display right now in this chart. He fulfilled every one of these perfectly in obedience to the Father. Incredible. Incredible. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, was raised three days later, conquering sin for all time. And now, if we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, he has promised to give us the power to live out the will of God increasingly and increasingly grow in our love for the Lord by his power at work within us. Zechariah 4.6 says this so beautifully. It says, not by might, nor not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the power that we have in Jesus Christ if we have surrendered our lives to him. Because here's the reality, church. There's no other hope. You have no hope. I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ of doing the will of the Father. Done. Line in the sand moment. To do the will of the Father, we need the power in us for the one who did it perfectly. His son, Jesus Christ. I love how Augustine said this. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Hold fast to Christ. It's a word for someone here today. Hold fast. Hold fast to Christ. For you, he became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. Awesome. Hold fast to Christ, loved ones. We have no hope without it. Hold fast. Loved ones, don't waste your life on that which is useless. Don't waste it. He who dies with the most toys, guess what? You know what happens? He still dies. Don't waste your life on that which is useless. Don't live for the temporary, loved ones. Live for eternity. Martin Luther said, I have two days on my calendar. This day and that day. The day Jesus Christ comes back. Live in light of that day. That's where the urgency comes from. The conviction By growing in our love for God, by living with conviction, refusing to love the world, and living with purpose, pursuing the will of God. 